Hello, and you're listening to What the Dev. I'm Christina Cardoza, your host today. And with us, we have VM Brazor. Thank you so much for joining us today, Vicky. I'm always happy to talk to you. You're good people. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, you have made such a name for yourself in the open source community. That's why I keep going back to you for um, these types of stories. You were previously the director of the Open Source Initiative. Then you were the vice president of the Open Source Initiative. Now you're the director of Open Source Strategy at Juniper Networks. And you wrote a book, Forge Your Future with Open Source, which I think is a great title. Thank you. Uh, there was, uh, you know, the title you come up with when you go to write a book, just any prospective authors, just throw it out the window. Your publisher is not going to go for that. Uh, that actually was a <laughs> process ordeal to get that title. It was kind of a thing. Um, so I, I really appreciate that you like it. I'll tell my editor. He'll love you for it. <laughs> I very, That's very relatable to me for when I'm writing these stories. Sometimes it helps me think of the title before I write them, but then, you know, my editor throws it out the window and comes up with something completely different but that's just the way it goes yeah it's the right so i would love to hear a little bit yes definitely i'd love to hear a little bit more about you know how we can forge our future with open source but before we get started you know into that i'm just interested in what drew you to the open source world and how you got started in the community oh it's you know uh, sherman set the wayback machine for the early 90s actually. So um, I've been doing this for nearly 30 years in some form or other, although, uh, you know, obviously was not quite as visible for a long time because contributing to and participating in open source is actually a privilege, not a right. And so it's pretty hard for a lot of people to do that. And I was in that case for uh, many years. Um, but early, early on, I just sort of have a tendency to want to share things and to build upon the good work of people who came before. I was in university initially for science, where that's kind of what science is all about, right? You learn from the research of those who come before and you build on that. Um, and then I learned about this little thing called Project Gutenberg, which was releasing texts in the open for anyone to read and use and share. And it just like, wow, this is like science, but for literature and the CIA Backbook, and this is amazing. Um, and that just got me paying attention to what else was going on. And those were back in the days of Usenet. So, you know, just sort of lurked on a lot of news groups um, and learned a whole lot in that way. And then one day, my uh, boyfriend at the time said, Don't try and call me. My modem is going to be tied up for quite a while because I'm downloading this thing called Linux. And it was Linux 1.0. And I'm like, Linux, what the heck is that? Well, it's just like the Unix we use down in the computer lab, except it's totally free. It's totally open. And you can run it on your 386. It's cool. And they took him about a week to download that and get it running and installed. And that was it was just off to the races from there, really. Um, so the whole open ethos worked well for me. And then having software that was free and open really it, it resonated so well that it just became a part of my life from there. Great. And I guess going back to your sharing roots, you decided to, you know, write the book about this. So tell me about Forge Your Future with Open Source. Why did you think it was necessary to write this? And who were you trying to target or share this information with? So the reason I needed to write this, uh, well, the real reason is that my editor, Brian McDonald, is also a very dear friend of mine. And if you befriend a book editor, you will write a book. So be forewarned. 
uh, that's that's really what happened. But um, at the time, he was uh, working at Pragmatic Bookshelf with Andy Hunt, and he was in a uh, a proposals meeting. And Andy got a little cranky about something and just kind of stamped his foot and said, "Damn it! What we need is a book about how to contribute to open source. Why doesn't one exist?" Well, there are multiple reasons for that why it didn't exist, but Brian essentially said, hey, put a pin on that. I'll get right back to you. Said, Vicki, you need to write this book. And I was like, well, crap. Brian, you're right. It's about time someone did write this book. Because for the about nearly 40 years or so since, um, you know, RMS nailed his theses to the MIT wall, um, we haven't really had a single way for people to learn how to contribute to free and open source software. It's been a lot of cargo culting, a lot of you know, just learning by uh, people handing it down. It really wasn't easy for people to learn how to do this. And I was having a lot of people come to me saying, hey, how do I contribute to open source? And asking the same questions over and over again. How do I found a project? Why would I want to contribute to open source anyway? What are the benefits to it? How do I do mailing lists? Why, why, why do we even use IRC? Just the same sort of questions. Um, and there was no one place for people to get that the answers. And I was like, well, heck, I can fix that. And I can tell you why this is good for your job and your career and how it could benefit you and how you can find the right project for you rather than just a project right now. Um, so you can be more successful in the goals to help your career while also helping to lift up and support the free and open source software that you probably rely on, whether you know it or not. So it goes into a lot of stuff that we just don't really cover a lot in the introduction to open source software, like what is copyright? Why does it matter? Well, it is the reason open source works and you really need to know that. Uh, but most people I find don't. Um, and another thing I've found in a lot of uh, open source guides is that they're very focused on programmers. It's like this aristocracy of people who program. Whereas if you've ever done any sort of work on software project, you know that this is not a thing that's solely the realm of programmers. To have a successful software project, you need a lot of different roles. You need documentarians, you need designers, you need security folks, you need you know, uh, infrastructure, marketing. Uh, you just need so many different people. And we have been holding them at arm's length and shutting them out for a great deal of time. And it's really a shame because free and open source software has suffered a great deal from that. Uh, it's, it's fine as a developer to scratch your own itch and release it. But if you want your software to be usable and to be adopted, you need to bring in people with other expertise. There's a reason why, for instance, UX is a full-time job because it's really difficult to get right. And accessibility, you need somebody to look at that because you don't have those skills. But we hold these people at arm's length and we don't help them contribute to open source. We actually kind of deter them from it. So the book is actually targeted at anyone any role, if you are interested in participating in open source at all, there are a lot of things that you need to learn and they're not necessarily code. So um, while the book is very, very effective for programmers and it has been used in uh, classes in computer science and for um, you know, just uh, universities and meetups, you know, it's been used by a lot of people looking to get into development because it is important for them to learn how to contribute to open source in this environment. But more importantly, it's also being adopted slowly but surely by people like tech writers and other folks because it's, it, they find it's very approachable 
And it's something that helps them figure out what even is this open source thing. And we need more people of all sorts in free and open source software. We talk a lot about um, open source sustainability now. And I have a talk um, that I do, and I'm in the middle of transcribing. So it should end up in my uh, blog real soon now. But um, it's about how we focus on the wrong things for sustainability. Um, and everyone's focused on money because mostly we come from the software world. The software world is focused around the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area, where I'm sitting right now because I have a meeting to do right after this. And, you know, uh, what people think about here is how do you make money through software? So naturally, we're going to be very focused on money. And that's where we're focusing the open source sustainability conversation. And that's not really the way we should be doing it. There are a lot of different facets. And one of the things is dealing with um, just the, the bottleneck of maintainers. Somebody, it, it can be called the bus factor, but somebody has recently uh, turned me on to the circus factor instead. Because the bus factor is, you know, how many of your project maintainers, if hit by a bus, would put your project in jeopardy? And that's kind of a violent image and, and not, really, not really a friendly thing. Um, but my friend, Michael Hall, turn me on to the circus factor. If your maintainer or core contributors ran away to join the circus, how many of those would it take to put your project in a bad position? So I, I'm grateful to Michael for that. So that's something that we really need to be focusing on for sustainability. A lot more than we need to be focusing on, um, a lot more than we need to be focusing on just getting money into the hands of contributors. So how do we get more contributors? More contributors lowers the circus factor. It, creates a larger pool of people who know the project. It makes your project more maintainable, more sustainable, better communication. Um, in order to attract more contributors, you have to be a more welcoming and friendly uh, environment in your project. So it just kind of becomes this great thing if you do the work to become a project that can attract more contributors, right? It's so much better. My book helps with that. It helps to get more people into contributing to free and open source software. So we can have a more sustainable free and open source software ecosystem in a way that we just don't have right now, right? Throwing money at the problem isn't going to fix it. Helping more people participate in open source. That was a lot of- No, that was, that was great. You know, you opened up my eyes to a lot of things going on in the open source community that I didn't realize just with the description of the book. Um, and I, I do like the, the circus analogy a lot better than the, the bus analogy. But, you know, it brings up a good point, just all these things, not understanding. Open source is still such a big topic of conversation every day, and it's been around for over 20 years now that I think sometimes we forget really what we're talking about. So just for our listeners' sake, what, you know, what is this idea of open source and what are the philosophies of it? Because I think it's important sometimes to start back at the origin before you can really you know, go on successfully doing some of these things you mentioned? Oh, um, well, that is a big question, which thankfully people have answered um, and put in writing. Um, so what a lot of folks don't know, and this is really disturbing every time I learn it, but it's understandable in a larger picture sense that I can't cover in 15 minutes, is that there is a legitimate definition for what it means to be open source. It is a standard. And like any other standard, it is something that we all need to work toward and preserve if we want to have interoperable uh, communications and software and just understanding. Um, and that standard is enshrined 
by the Open Source Initiative, um, OSI, and in something called the Open Source Definition, um, which is we abbreviate as the OSD. Because of course, we need more acronyms in technology. We just don't have enough uh, alphabet soup happening on. <clears throat> and there are 10 items in the OSD, which are absolutely fundamental to anything that is open source. And um, I could list them, but I'd rather you go read them yourself. Uh, if you go to opensource.org slash OSD dash annotated, that's the best version, I think. There's also a, a shorter version, but the annotated one really helps to get a lot more understanding for why these things are the way they are. Um, now, the reason this is important is that you, uh, as everyone knows, the first thing everyone thinks about when they think open source is licensing, uh, which is frankly the last thing anyone should think about for open source. But we have over the past you know, 20, 30 years developed this massive focus around licensing and it's all about licensing and open source and that's all we talk about and that's really a shame it's a detriment to our our ecosystem and our communities but um licenses are important so there's not don't mean to dismiss them they are important they're just not the most important thing now one of the reasons they are important is that it allows us to know what we're getting um so licenses are wrapped up in copyright you automatically have copyright of anything you create unless, and this is a big, big unless, you are doing it for an employer that is work for hire. So if you're doing it for your employer, on employer time, on your employer hardware, they most likely own that intellectual property. It is not yours, I don't care what you think. Um, so you should probably check your, your, uh, your employment agreement to see what exactly are the intellectual property um, and copyright restrictions in there to verify for sure that this sort of stuff is theirs. Um, so intellectual property has copyright over it and copyright allows the creator to decide what happens to the work. Um, and the way they decide that and the way they communicate that is through licenses. If you do not have a license on a piece of software, on a piece of writing, on a piece of artwork, on any sort of intellectual property, if you have no license there, it is all rights reserved, which means no one else can do absolutely anything with that work without permission of the original creator. This includes software. So every time you just randomly run out to GitHub and grab a piece of software simply because it's available without checking the license. If there is no license there, you are creating, you are uh, performing copyright infringement and you are putting yourself, and if you are using this software in your company's uh, projects, you're putting your company at massive risk of huge intellectual property uh, um, lawsuits and just legal fees and it's just an absolute nightmare so licenses are really important to make sure you're not infringing someone's copyrights now the really cool thing about um open source licenses is that they are approved by the osi the open source initiative and the cool thing about that is they take a license somebody will submit licenses to them there's a whole process around that that i won't get into but they'll submit a license to them and say hey we think this is an open source license. Could you please have a look? And then if you agree, approve this license as open source. 
like, sure, 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 we'll, we'll go through our process and review it. And that process can be boiled down to holding up the license and looking at it, and then holding up the open source definition and comparing it to the license. And if that license allows 100%, all 10, none are optional, of the items in the open source definition, then they can and usually do approve that license as open source. They put the seal of approval on it and say, yes. And this actually gained massive amount in business and in our software development. Because otherwise, what you would have to do is you would have to go and get a lawyer to look at every license of every piece of software you're going to put into your project, which it can, you can imagine, get fairly cumbersome. Um, not nearly as cumbersome as a copyright infringement lawsuit, but fairly cumbersome. Um, but if you do it with an OSI approved license, lawyers the world round, this is an international standard, understand exactly what that license now says. There will be other things, they still do need to read it, but they also know that they get these 10 rights and benefits from that that license, the software that is under that license. So you don't have to do nearly as much legal work. You can use these things fairly uh, openly. Um, you do have to be careful around um, more reciprocal licenses, such as GPL, uh, V3 and the like, um, uh, Mozilla Public License. These are more copyleft licenses. They're, they're great, perfectly cromulent license, nothing wrong with them, but they do have additional requirements that you have to make sure that you are adhering to when you are using them, uh, a, a GPL or a copyleft project in your project itself. There's nothing wrong with them. You just have to pay attention is all. Um, but we get this sort of stuff because of the open source definition and because of the OSI and the work they do. If we don't have this, then we essentially have everyone working under their own definition of open source. And that is utterly meaningless. It, I can't run my business if somebody is handing me something that says open source and I have one understanding of it and they are working under a completely different definition. We're going to have so many legal woes in this way. But instead, if we have something that's all approved with a single definition, we can work under the same terms. It's rather like the uh, standard for a kilogram, for instance. Um, if I go to the butcher and I say, hey, I would like a kilogram of roast because I'm making a lovely roast tonight. And I go to the butcher and I am using your standard kilogram as everyone else understands it. The butcher, on the other hand, believes that a kilogram is equal to a pound. Now, if you know the conversion rates, you know that a pound is actually about a half a kilogram. So I'm getting half the roast that I would otherwise get simply because we have a completely different definition. You can't have commerce in this way. You can't have effective interoperability in this way. This is why we have standards at all. And so the OSD is incredibly important to business and to other uh, software endeavors because of that. It allows us this freedom to have this shared definition, this shared vocabulary so we can all understand what we're talking about when we say open source. Great, now I know um, we're running out of time, you have a meeting to get to, but before we go, without giving too much of the book away, I'm curious of how can people be a part of the open source community and successfully contribute to projects? You know, In my mind, I'm just thinking they go and submit a pool request or a project, but it's so much more than that, obviously. 
Oh, it's so much more than that. Um, and you know, pull requests is something that is only GitHub specific. And we gotta be clear here. GitHub is not open source. And I don't mean that about the code. I mean as though it is not the end all be all center of all things open source. Now I love GitHub. It is a great project and there are wonderful people working there, but it is only one of many, many different ways to contribute to free and open source software. So don't assume it's always going to be a pull request. For instance, it could somebody could be on GitLab and it could be a merge request. It could be on Apache and you know use a completely different sort of uh, Git version. It could be something that even uses Subversion or Mercurial. Now, how do you know? You read the docs. There's always going to be some sort of contributor document that will start you on your path in the right way. And just just pause and read before firing something off. Um, and talk to people and say, hey, I have this idea for a feature or I have this idea for a bug fix. You know, Find out what is their process for that and then participate in the process rather than assuming you know what's going on because no one, no one will do it the same way. You can participate in one project in one way and it will be just different enough in a different project. Trust me, if they're using the IRC and you prefer Slack, don't argue about that. Just use IRC, for instance. Trust me, they know what they're doing. Um, so yeah, I guess read, ask, don't assume. Great, well, thank you again so much for taking the time out to speak with us about this topic today. I wish you know we had more time on the podcast. I wish we had more time on your schedule because this is such an interesting topic and you are clearly very passionate about it. So we'll have to get you on again sometime to, to talk more about it. Well, my, my calendar just freed up for the next six to eight weeks, thanks to COVID-19. <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, I'm open whenever. I love talking about this stuff and sharing it and teaching folks on how to participate in open source software. Great. Well, good thing the conferences are canceled because we don't want you getting sick. We want you know we want more more of your thoughts on this. So thank you again <laughs> so much, and um, our listeners, thank you for joining us. You've been listening to What the Devs.